everybody. Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life. At least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. Today, I want to talk about COVID, and I actually don't want to talk about it. I never want to hear the word again. There's an uptick in cases, and of course, we want to do our due diligence and do the whole protocol and try to avoid catching something, you know, anything. Try to avoid catching any kind of disease, yes and amen. There are people that I know that were warned due to pre-existing conditions that if they got COVID, they would die. It was unequivocal. Their doctor said, if you get it, you die. And they did get it, unfortunately. But fortunately, none of them have died. They have all recovered. And that's the good news. And that's a plus for the survivability of COVID. And I want to repeat the good stories we hear, not just all the bad news. And on a personal note, I'm at a church which I've attended for over 20 years that has appropriately declared that Jesus, not Caesar, not the government, is the head of the church. We're 8,000 strong on a Sunday, shoulder to shoulder, singing and praising God and facing a lot of court battles because of it. But the whole thing might be overturned because of the Supreme Court ruling regarding freedom of assembly and the right to worship. Well, we've been congregating since August, and the strength and the courage that comes from being together as believers is crucial. We've even been cleared by LA County of not having an outbreak, and this was a while back. But if you read the LA Times article, they wanted everyone to think that our church had gone down in a blaze of glory. But no, actually the opposite. Our membership numbers are soaring, and we're not presuming on God's grace. It's not about presuming on God's grace. It's not about defying the government and Gavin Newsom. It's about doing what God says, which is to meet together and not forsake the assembling of yourselves. And I know the presidential debates are long over, but I just want to say this about them. The number one question was about the pandemic. And we know that the media wants everyone to cower in fear, but we know the actual survival rate. You know what we don't have much chance of surviving? Nuclear war. The debates lacked any questions on foreign policy. I think there was maybe one question about North Korea, but that was about it. No questions about Iran, about the peace deal Trump brokered between Israel and the UAE and all the countries that have signed on to that. Nothing about Turkey or Erdogan wanting to reestablish the Ottoman Empire. And believe me, that is a big deal. ISIS being taken out by the Trump administration. The Israel and Gulf states relationship. That is really nothing short of miraculous what is happening. But it seemed the only thing the moderators cared about when it came to other countries were their pandemic numbers. We knew nothing of what was happening in the rest of the world unless it was COVID-related. And I thought, I need to find out what's happening across the pond. <laughs> I need some international news. And so I started even asking my friends, do you know what's happening? Besides America, unless it comes to COVID numbers, you know what's going on in Israel, in Turkey, in Egypt, in Iceland, for goodness sake, do you know anything? And most of them said, actually, no, now that you asked that, now I'm thinking about it. No, I don't really know what's going on anywhere else. All about the pandemic, yes, no one wants to get it, and we should take normal precautions to avoid disease. But I just have to say this about COVID. It's a foreshadowing of other diseases that will eventually hit us. 
the pestilence of the last days, specifically the tribulation. And it's going to make all of what we've seen thus far look like a paper cut. It will be so minor in comparison. And I want to use the example of smallpox. Let's just take a look at that for fun. And this is timely since Dr. J. Michael Lane died at the end of October at the age of 84. He was the director of the CDC Global Smallpox Eradication Program in 1977, and he was the epidemiologist when the last known vestige of the disease was conquered in East Africa. If you want something to keep you up at night, not like you need anything else to keep you up at night, look at a picture of someone with smallpox. It's horrifying. Then remind yourself that anyone born after 1972 has never been vaccinated against it. Then tell yourself that it's okay because only two countries still have vials of the virus, and that would be the USA and Russia. And if that's not interesting enough, in 2014, and I'm surprised this didn't get more attention because I find it fascinating, federal scientists discovered a half dozen forgotten vials of smallpox of the virus while cleaning out a storage area on the campus of the NIH in Bethesda, Maryland. The six vials of freeze-dried virus, apparently dating from the 50s, were found by a scientist from the FDA in a cold storage room that was originally part of an NIH laboratory, but was transferred to the FDA in the early 1970s, and this was on ABC News. The vials were labeled as containing variola, just sitting around waiting for someone to find. Apparently, whoever was doing that job didn't get to that particular closet. Can you imagine those guys watching the evening news maybe years later? Wow, Bob, looks like we missed a crate. <laughs> that would be me. I will bring all the food to the picnic, but I will forget all of the plates and napkins and utensils. I'm not your detail girl. Never went into biology or science or anything related to that. And it's a good thing because I'm the one who would be in the lab. Hey, anybody seen that vial of hantavirus? I think I misplaced it. Watch your step. No, never let me near anything that requires extreme attention to detail, especially if it's a biohazard. So every few years, the WHO, back to the vials of smallpox, considers whether these last stocks should be destroyed. So far, they argue that the stocks are still needed for research. And there is some truth to that. You need to manufacture a vaccine. You have to have uh, organic material to work with. So this is not the first time, though, that smallpox vials have been discovered unexpectedly in a laboratory, sparking fears that other poorly secured samples might exist that could fall into the hands of terrorists. Yeah, that is a big concern. Smallpox is terribly contagious and would be devastating as a bioterrorism weapon. It's one of the examples, though, I truly believe that we could be facing in the future. And I also came across this news story in late November of 2018. And again, I can't believe this didn't get more attention, but the U.S. Customs at Detroit Metro Airport stopped a Chinese biologist, hmm, Chinese biologist, with three vials labeled antibodies in his luggage. The biologist told the agents that a colleague in China had asked him to deliver the vials to a researcher at a U.S. institute. He wouldn't give the name of his contact. They turned out to be the vials, that is, MERS and SARS. Wow. Apparently, this kind of thing is more common than we know. 
Another case cited in the report appeared to involve flu strains that people were carrying through and also suspected E. coli. The people couldn't provide any documentation or permits for the materials, and they were let go, which is the weirdest thing. Isn't that bizarre? Just let them go. Material was confiscated, but the people were allowed to travel on, even after they lied and said they weren't traveling with any biological products. Do not understand that. That is an alarming trend. All of these alarming trends. I'm very alarmed. But what we see now is nothing compared to what will eventually happen. I want to give you this verse in Zechariah. It's at the end of chapter 14, and it talks about judgment that precedes the millennial kingdom. This is future prophecy, when God strikes those gathered against Israel. I bet you thought zombies were a creation of a Hollywood screenwriter. Actually, they're even earlier than that. The concept of a zombie apparently has been around in folklore for quite some time, but it's been even earlier than that because in 480 BC, I'm convinced that they got this from Zechariah 14, 12 through 13. Whoever wrote the first zombie read their Bible first. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Doesn't that sound like zombies attacking one another and passing the plague to the next person? It does to me. I mean, I know I have a very active imagination, but I think that Zachariah is the writer of the first zombie attack. It's interesting, though, taking a long view out as this whole thing, COVID, broke out nine months ago in people's response to the pandemic, especially the young people. In many cases, they've seemed more fearful than my 80-year-old parents who have far more to worry about if they get sick. But when this whole thing started in the spring, I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. Here we are now in December, and I was very concerned about my folks. You know, I call my mom. Where are you? Mom, where are you? You're supposed to be at home. Oh, I'm at Walmart. Where's dad? Oh, he's at the casino. (laughs) And I'm saying, don't go out because of the plague. But you know what? That was when we really didn't know anything about it, except that it was very ferocious and very contagious and that it was doing nasty things to people's lungs. I mean, that's about all we knew at that time. But my parents were living their lives and, you know, God bless them. They really were. And they've seen so much in their life. So when I think about that, it's not surprising. I mean, how many uh, wars and how many terrorist attacks and how many diseases and uh, how many governmental upheavals, et cetera, et cetera. And again, we know so much more about it now. um, But at a certain point, you really do have to live your life. But fear is restricting people. And there is, I see, a self-obsession of not getting it. Take normal precautions to avoid things. Again, I think I've said that three or four times. That is is true. But there are diseases that will be far worse, and there are diseases now that are far worse. I mean, think about MRSA, the superbug, and the inability of antibiotics to treat common bacteria that used to be taken care of in a heartbeat. I mean, you can imagine what we would fall prey to without antibiotics. Just go back to everything that killed us before 1942. 
Did you know that there are still 15 cases a year of bubonic plague reported in the U.S.? Of course, that is easily treated because of antibiotics. But if those are no longer effective, well, let's just say, if a picture of someone with smallpox doesn't keep you up at night, a picture of someone with the plague will. If you are too afraid, I was thinking about this as a believer, if you are too afraid of what is going to happen to you, or if I'm too afraid of what is going to happen to me, how are we going to help others? It's something to think through as a Christian. How are we going to be selfless in light of something far more harrowing than what's happening right now? You know, the frontline workers, oh, wonderful, God bless them, the doctors and, and nurses, that, that's their vocation, though. That's what they've signed up to do. What about us? What about just your regular citizen that is not in the healthcare industry? Are we going to care for the sick at the risk of our own life when something breaks out, when it gets really bad? Christians are called to do that. John 15, 13, greater love hath no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus said to sacrifice to the point of death is to imitate Christ's example. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That is the standard of genuine Christian love. It expresses itself sacrificially. Even hospitals in the United States emerged from institutions, from almshouses that provided care for the ailing and the poor, and that was a Christian charity. No civilian hospital even existed until the Christian period. Not that we're surprised at what's happening. At least we, we shouldn't be. We know what scripture says about the last days and the perilous times that are coming, and that men will be lovers of themselves. And we see that now. But it's going to explode even further. And what are we going to do then? How sacrificing are we going to be faced with communicable diseases that have a 30% chance of killing us or a 50% chance of killing us? That's just something to think about. There are more serious things that could be used as bioweapons. You know, I for one can think of a better way to go than Ebola any of the hemorrhagic fevers. You know, I would rather not bleed out my eyeballs as the way to die. But that will happen in the tribulation. And I think the response to this pandemic in the world at large, here in the U.S. too, is blaming the, the current administration as though they're in charge of the virus. And the irrational fear that's going on, again, especially in the young people I mentioned, is because of an atheistic society that we now find ourselves in. God is creator and also decides when you take your last breath. But man seems to be blaming his fellow man for his demise. And if you're an atheist, I understand that. You have no framework for what's happening. Everything is random. You have to blame your fellow man. But here's a question. If you are an atheist, are you not an evolutionist? And if an evolutionist, why would a purging type virus that kills the weaker population not make sense to you and be hailed as a good thing, since we have to progress and adhere to the survival of the fittest? I'll tell you why, atheist. Because try as you might, you can't suppress the moral law written on your heart in the common grace that God has given you. You practically live like there is a God. That's how that goes. If there is no God... Transcendent moral truths do not exist. All is relative, 
And in the night watches, if you settle down long enough to really ponder truth, then in your darkness, you will quote Richard Dawkins, the renowned atheist. There is at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. But in your rational mind, you know better. You know nothing from nothing cannot equal everything. You know where there is a design, there has to be a designer behind it. It doesn't just pop up from a mindless, misguided process. You have to be selective about your atheism in order to make your life work. But as an atheist, it would be natural to cower in fear in your home over COVID or a whole host of other things because you think you have to control everything or you're under the illusion that you do control things like your death or the pathway of a virus, but you don't control that any more than you do your birth. Did you have anything to do with being born? Of course not. The sun is 93 million miles away from Earth. One inch closer, we'd be burned to death. One inch further away, and we'd be frozen. Now, I say all of that with the caveat that, of course, if you are at high risk, you should be taking all of the necessary precautions. And if you have to stay home, I understand that. But I'm just talking about the motivation for so much of the fear that I do see being an atheistic worldview, or perhaps a lack of wholeheartedly embracing the sovereignty of God. That could be a problem too. Job, which we believe is the oldest book in the Bible, one of my favorites, if not my favorite. In Job, he is talking about man's frailty and God's majesty. And in Job 26, 7, it says, he stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the world on nothing. That is an ancient statement before any kind of scientific verification could be made. Job attests to the truth of space and of planetary truth. And the greatest enemy of man is death. And it's something that when something like COVID happens, you can see that that is hitting that fear quite deeply. But Jesus has conquered death. And you know, it's funny, I laugh when young people think that Christians are beholden to a bunch of rules, that their lives are so restrictive. An unbeliever lives fearing death, but Christians are the freest people on the planet, at least the most unafraid people, because the ultimate reality of death has been conquered and because God has already determined the day and the hour down to the nanosecond when he brings us home and we know that we are invincible until that time. So we know what King David says in Psalm 139, 16, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. We live free of the fear of death, free really of the fear of COVID in that sense. Kids under 30, panicking. We've given our young people, primarily outside of the church, because I hope if you're inside of the true church that you have given them the hope of Christ, but In the world at large, no hope, no hope. They are walking around in Ephesians 2.12, having no hope and without God in the world. And I see society and the world primed in a way I have never seen before to usher in and accept the Antichrist. Because the tenor of the world is that you need a political figure to save the situation. When COVID broke out, a friend of mine was talking to her cousin, who was only 31, and he said, and I quote, we just need one person to tell us what to do. He was very afraid. 
He was afraid of what he was seeing, that people couldn't seem to come up with the exact right decision, that actually something was outside of the hands of man. And he wanted an answer. He wanted, I'm going to say, a political savior that would tell everybody in the world what to do. Well, there is someone like that coming. And he is the Antichrist. And a lot of people are going to fall for it. But that's the global agenda. As violence rises and confusion without a biblical worldview and an understanding of God's sovereignty, people scramble to make sense of everything and latch onto someone who will promise peace and safety. Even though Psalm 146.3 says, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. In my lifetime, I've never seen such a man-centered world where so many people's answer for life is unilateral instead of vertical, either blaming your fellow man, trying to find answers from your fellow man, thinking you can be fulfilled by relationships with your fellow man. That's the answer. People keep coming up empty. They think, that'll take care of it. That will fulfill me. That'll make it better. That will solve this current crisis. And then it doesn't, and they're on to the next thing instead of looking up to the creator where it should be. That's where our eyes should be. Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So in pondering the questions of how does all of this fit into Bible prophecy, a foreshadowing of the plagues, yes, We have the capacity now for global pandemics in a way we never did before. I don't think when the uh, Apostle John wrote Revelation in 94 AD, he had any idea when he wrote a fourth of the world's population being destroyed that there would be an extent that, that it is today in the numbers. We would have something like, I don't know, what, 2 billion deaths in that scenario in Revelation 6, 16, it talks about the terrors of the sixth seal and that those are unleashed. And then people will finally acknowledge the disasters are God's judgment. And every mountain will have moved from its place. There'll be earthquakes, volcanoes, asteroids. People are going to panic. But instead, this is always the interesting part. Instead of calling on God, they will call on Mother Nature. And you can see that attitude in society today. They will say to the mountains, And rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. So they know who's doing it, but they're not going to ask him for for help. No, they're going to ask the earth to cover us. The earth that's dissolving before their eyes. And you can see that today in the Save the Earth and climate change. Although Save the Earth, I think, has been around since at least the 70s. But It's all about the physical planet. Instead of the creator, it's all about the creation. Nobody's looking for that kind of remedy. Nobody's, except for Christians, are looking up to the hills from where our help comes from. They're going to solve the problem like the people of the Tower of Babel, and they're going to build up away the global reset, etc., If you don't know about that, you should look it up. It's uh, frightening. Another thing to keep you up at night. But it's all man-centered answers. Not that God has not gifted man with many, many people have brilliant minds to solve a lot of these problems. 
but that is God-given as well. So it's just, my whole point is that it's completely man-centered. It's in the physical realm of the physical universe and, and unbelievers think that they're going to be able to solve all of this just based on their, their own uh, gumption. But that atheism runs deep and you can watch, you can watch that happen. You'll, you'll be able to see that happen. That's going to play out. It plays out now in secular society, but it's going to play all the way out until the end of history when the volcanoes are erupting and the earth is splitting in two and the asteroids are falling from the sky. So hard to imagine, but it is God's truth. So everyone is waiting for 2021. I hear a lot about that. Let's just get past 2020. Well, I hate to say it, but 2021 could be worse. And I don't want to be negative. I'm just being scriptural. It definitely will be worse with Biden in office. What we're experiencing right now governmentally is lowball totalitarianism, not with the Trump administration, mind you, but our local leaders. My husband just got a letter from his work, a letter that states that he can travel. There are your papers. That's what we're headed towards. That is what we're headed towards. I don't think it's going to be somebody from Germany, especially not somebody like my bad German accent right there, but maybe he will be Chinese or maybe he will be American telling us what and what we cannot do. Right now, that's happening where you can go, how many people you can have in your home, what you can wear. It's like the opening act to the main event. And I predict, I'm not prophesying anything, but I predict another virus worse than this to push us further down that path. Because the powers that be continue to want to sink their fangs into controlling the masses. But the truth is, everyone is complying willingly, and it's easy to control people. We've seen that with COVID. You just make them fearful. That is why I'm so thankful that God says, do not fear at least 315 times in scripture. And you can put anything in there. You can put anything in that space. Do not fear man. Do not fear the government. Do not fear COVID. It's a command. So says our great and awesome God. One of the things to remember, I think, in the totalitarianism that we may be headed into perhaps tomorrow, maybe in a month, maybe within five years, is how many heroes of the faith lived under hard and cruel governments? A free country like we've had is, has been the exception. It's not the rule. Daniel, the apostles, Jesus himself, they all knew what it was like to come up against the powers that be and be ruled in a way we can't even really comprehend in this country. But it's coming ever closer to our shores. So it's important to be steadfast, Christians. Stand strong, look among the nations, and watch. Do not be afraid. And always remembering that God is doing a work that we cannot see, because we should know, Hebrews 11.1, 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.